where James 3, 1 to 12, this is God's word. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a wolf set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our God and Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. Then we're going to turn, uh, well, you might not want to turn with me, but one verse simply from Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. Proverbs 10, 11 says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Amen. We trust that God will bless his word to us, John. Well, please do open your Bibles with me this evening as we turn to the letter of James. And then we'll also be in Proverbs, so uh, you might have to flip between the two, but it'll be really helpful uh, for you and for me if you can keep your Bible open as we refer to this passage. So come with me to James to begin with, James chapter 3. And as Nigel said, we've been working through this foundation call, our series called Foundation, some of the, the big points that we believe. And tonight we're thinking about the tongue. And as we think about the tongue, here's the, the beginning line for us, the source makes all the difference on the end product. The source makes all the difference on the end product. So, I was thinking about this. How do we illustrate this? The source and the end product. Well, if you like Cocoa Pops, any Cocoa, just nod with me if anybody likes Cocoa Pops, right? Cocoa Pops kept me alive whenever I was at university. They were pretty much the, the staple meal for me to keep me alive. Cocoa Pops are amazing, right? I love Cocoa Pops. But see if you go down to the bargain shop and you buy... Chico, Chico rocks, right? They're just not the same. And it all depends upon the source. Kellogg's makes one, and maybe Kellogg's makes the other and just makes it a little bit worse. Or somebody else tries to mimic what Kellogg's have made. The source has a big impact on the end product. Or you go for Coca-Cola, the, the premium Coca-Cola, right? And then you go and you buy Rola-Cola for 20p, and the two are just not the same. One sells you short. The source makes all the difference on the end product. Or McVitie's chocolate digestives, right? They are class. They're not paying me to say that. They're class, right? And then you go and you go to some other supermarket and you buy their equivalent to McVitie's chocolate digestives and you dip them in your tea in the break and 
you have to get the spoon to try and get them all out, like Peter Kay talks about. And it's a disaster. The source and the end product, or if you're a coffee person, the, the coffee that comes from a certain type of country, I really don't like Kenyan coffee. I don't know. Sorry, Kenya. Don't know why it is. Just don't like your coffee. But if it comes from Rwanda, class, right? The, the source makes all the difference on the end product. And so tonight, what we want to think about is the end product, that what comes through our mouth, and the source, which is our hearts. And so we're thinking about the tongue. Everything flows out of our hearts through our mouths. Now, why are we thinking about this this evening? We're thinking about it because God in his word says he really cares about how we speak. And for us as a church family, as Christian people, this is something that we often avoid, isn't it? Whenever it comes to the topic of gossip, which we are going to address, we think it's one of those acceptable sins within the church. God says in James chapter 3, through this letter, the the, the problems, the devastation that the tongue can bring. And then in Proverbs, how it should, out of a righteous person, out of someone who has been converted and saved, how words of life should flow. And so it's really important for us as a church because it's a really important subject for God. So we're going to see three things tonight. And the first is this, the words of the world, the words of the world. What is the, the native language of the world? How does the world speak? What words does the, the world use? Well, as we think about that, I want us to go into James, and I want us to see three things about the tongue. So look at verse 5. The tongue, and it's from the ASV, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. The tongue is small. Look at verse 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And then come with me to verse 11. What else is it? It's small. It's a fire. But then verse 11, does a spring pour forth? It is a, it's a fountain. That's what we read about in Proverbs. So let's deal with it being a small part of our bodies to begin with. Verse 4. The tongue has a power that is out of all proportion to its size. This is a picture of the Titanic on your left. It had a very small rudder, a rudder that they reckoned that was too small for the size of the ship. Our tongues are so small, and yet they wield so much power. The rudder determines where the ship goes. The tongue reigns devastation. So here are some of the things that the Bible says, and I'm leaning here upon David Gibson. David Gibson has done a lot of work on James, and he he put this list together. Here's some of the things that the the Bible speaks about in reference to the tongue. The tongue can steal, can steal someone's reputation, can't it? It can invite, it can crush, it can spread, it can pierce, it can protect It can heal, it can endure, it can rebuke, it can harm, wound, hit, flatter, boast, divide, and slander. 
Our words have so much power, don't they? They can crush people or they can inflate people. They can build up or they can tear down. They can harm and they can bless. So I wonder when was the last time your mouth got you into trouble? Wonder did your tongue get you into trouble today? And then we say phrases like this, I wish I hadn't have said that. It was just in the heat of the moment. And when I said those words, I was just really tired. Or I was having a bad week and you just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Friends, what we say to all our people, what we say to ourselves, the words that we speak to ourselves, the words that we use in this place to one another, the way in which we use them, what do they do? They reveal a lot about us. And so someone can be in a much better place because of what we've said or a much worse place. And we all know those moments, don't we? The moments whenever we shoot words out in anger. The joke with a jag. And the moment that you loose it from your tongue, don't you see it in someone's eyes? You see the wound that you have caused. The pain that starts to come down upon their face. The tongue is sharp. It cuts like a dagger. It thrusts forward like a warrior with a spear. The tongue is small. But James says it is powerful. So it's also a fire. Look at verse 6. It sets a great fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It is a restless evil. It's like an uncontrollable beast. The tongue wounds and it kills. It, what does he say? It says it, it, it spits deadly poison. In verse 8, it spits deadly venom. And so David Gibson says this. He says, you're sitting in this church with a weapon of mass destruction in your mouth. I wonder if we've ever thought about our tongues like that. We sit with a weapon of mass destruction in our mouths. And that's why James in chapter 1 and verse 19 says this. Let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Because we all have those moments of regret, don't we? I wish I hadn't have sent that crushing email. I wish that I hadn't have been so harsh on the phone call. I wish that I, I hadn't have been so nasty in the words that I used. And we lie on our beds at night and we sit awake because we think, what a fool I am. And each of us, I, I can guarantee that each of us here tonight have words that someone spoke into our lives upon us years ago and we still remember them to this day. Words can harm. And we let our words fly. And sometimes we would give anything to take them back. People, people cut to the core by our words. And so he says it's like a fire. Our, our words, our tongues are like petrol bombs. They're like, like pouring petrol out across people and striking matches and throwing them out. That's what our tongues are like. It sets great blazes. And what does it do? What does our tongues do? They consume people's reputations, don't they? They can engulf and destroy relationships. They can leave someone's character in ashes. So back 
to gossip. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 8 says this. The words of a gossip are choice morsels. So what is a morsel? A morsel is like a little scrap of food. It's like that little bit of, I don't know, a jelly top that gets stuck at your back tooth and then you find it after a little while and you're like, no, that's nice, right? The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inward parts. Those little fragments of gossip that someone gives to us, whenever someone comes alongside alongside us at church and nudges us on the way out and said, did you hear about her? Did you hear about him? Did you see what they were doing? Did you see this? Did you see that? These little bits of gossip are juicy. They're tasty. They satisfy us. Proverbs 17 verse 4. A wicked man listens to evil lips and a liar pays attention to a malicious tongue. See, it's not just the person who speaks the gossip. It's the person who also receives the gossip, who hears it. A wicked man listens to evil lips. How should we change our culture at church whenever it comes to gossip? Well, whenever someone starts to speak it, we say, hold on a second. Not to belittle the person that's saying it, but just to say, look, I, I don't think these words are going to be helpful. I, I really want to hear this, but it's not good for me. I don't need it. I think we shouldn't say these things. And so this is our mother tongue. All of these things that we've been thinking about over the last two, three minutes, they're, they're, our, they're our natural language, our, our native tongue. They're the sinful language that we all speak, that we're born with. So look at verse 8. What's James's conclusion? Verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. Why? Because the tongue isn't the problem. The tongue is a product of the source. And so we go to our third image, the fountain. Verse 11, you'll see it there. Does a spring pour forth both salt and fresh water? Well, of course it doesn't. You see, the fountain produces in perfect harmony what is at the source. So you know what it's like to be up the Moor Mountains and uh, you're maybe out in your Duke of Edinburgh and you have your little water bottle and your Duke of Edinburgh instructor tells you that, do you know what, drinking the Moor water, it's perfectly safe. You just put your bottle into the little stream and fill it up, right? And you look at the water and you think, that water looks rough. It looks stinking. What is going on? The instructor said that I could drink this. Don't know about this. And you go up another 100 meters, and what do you find, which sometimes happens in the mornings, a dead sheep land right in the middle of the stream. And you see how the source has become infected? From the source flows this, this polluted water. And so James says that the spring pours forth either salt water or fresh water. It does not produce both. And yet, In our mouths, we know this. We know how this plays out, don't we? We'll sit here this evening, and we had that wonderful rendition of of Psalm 100, singing it a cappella, give you goosebumps on the back of your neck. And yet, by the time we get to our homes, whatever our commute is to get to Hill Street, we could already have spoken 
harsh words about people. I think it's good that Nigel and myself don't know the conversations that happen across dinner tables at Sunday after Sunday. What were they on about today? Did you hear him say this? And with the same mouth that we use to praise God, we start to tear people down. And so verse 11 says, the problem is with the source. Or look at verse 12. He changes illustration. He says that the fig tree will bear figs and the olive tree will bear olives. So here is the takeaway. Our words tonight, how we use our mouth, the words that come out through our mouth, through our tongue, what do they do? They shine a light deep down into the well of who we are. Our words are, are, are reveal who we are. They, they expose who we are. And so the doctor, Dr. James, in this letter says, let me hear you speak, and I will diagnose your heart. Here's a quote, again from David Gibson. The tongue is the publisher of the heart. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The tongue publishes what is deep down inside of us. And so out of the overflow of someone's heart comes the words that they speak. It all comes flowing out, gushing out, rolling out because of the source. And so what is your source tonight? Is it fresh or is it filthy? Effectively, is your source the Lord Jesus Christ or is it not? And, And the sewage of our heart starts to come out through the words that drip off our tongue And we can smell the stench of our words, can't we? Let me hear your words, and I will tell you your heart. These are the words of the world, okay? But then we want to go to the solution. What is the solution for the source? What's the solution for the source? I didn't know this, but apparently washing machines actually need care every now and again because... I walked into the back, into our back utility room, and you'd come in through the back door, and you'd think, there's a funny smell in the utility room. No one told me that you have to replace filters, that you have to get your hand inside, deep inside the washing machine, and pull all the gunk out of the filters, and, and replace the filters, and then you have to go to Asda or Tesco and buy these little bottles of Dettol, and pour those into the machine, and put a hot wash on, and cycle it through, and then put a rinse wash through to get all of this gunk out of the washing machine, right? All of this built up stuff, that, this mold and gunk that, that corrodes around the washing machine. And then we go and we buy this bottle of Dettol, we change the filter, we replace, as it were, the very heart of the washing machine, and then it brings forth a lovely smell and washes your clothes perfectly. And so tonight, as we shine a light deep down into the well of our own hearts, what do we want to see? Well, the solution to the, stench of our, to the stench of our words is simply this. We need a heart transplant, don't we? We need a heart transplant. The problem is our sinful heart. Our hearts are naturally festering, sin-bound. And so if you're not a Christian here tonight, Hopefully you've been able to see that what we've been working to hear the first part of our sermon has been working up to this point so that you can see that your heart really is full of this cancer that we call sin. 
that by your words you know the condition of your heart. By the smell of your words, the effect of your words, you know what your heart is like. And the the seriousness then of this condition, if you're not a Christian tonight, tells us this, that because of what is going on through your mouth, leading us into your heart means that you will die. That's how serious this problem is. You'll die, and then you'll face the judgment. And Christian tonight, you may say to me, well, John, it seems like my words are just as bad. Well, you need to know that you have been given a new heart by the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Spirit. But what happens sometimes on the the shaft as as these words bubble up out of us, out of the well of our hearts, sometimes there are still little bits of grime and, and dirt that line the walls that sometimes come out. But the source has been changed if you're a Christian. And so with that, come with me back into Proverbs chapter 10. And this is where we want to spend the remaining time that we have. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 11. It would be really helpful for you later on if you take time to read through Proverbs 10 and just chart or highlight or mark down or write down all of the times that it refers to the mouth. But it zooms in on verse 11 and then flows out of verse 11. So verse 11 is right at the center. And it says this, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Or the authorized version has it like this, the mouth of the righteous man is a well of life. And so from the Christian mouth should splash out words of joy, of substance, of life, Not because we are good people, not because we have tidied up our act, but because of the source, Jesus Christ. He's right down at the bottom. He is the one that we draw from. And so your mouth should produce life. Why? Because you drink from the river of life that is Jesus. We should be a channel for him, a canal hollowed out for him to flow from him to us through to other people. And isn't this a beautiful image that we have in Proverbs? That our our mouth should be a fountain of life. Not of death. Life-giving words as we pour them out to other people. Words of grace and mercy. Words that bless and not blast people. Words that are strong with the truth, not saturated with lies. But what is this righteousness? Look at verse 11. How do we get this? The mouth of the righteous. Well, who are the righteous people? The righteous are those who have been converted by God's grace, who have been saved by Him, who who have known Him as Lord and Savior, who the Lord has given them a new heart, has given them new birth. You have been born again. That is the, the righteous person. The, the, uh, the, the, the proverb writer here, Solomon, will go on to talk about that those who are righteous are those who fear God. That means those who stand in awe of God, who worship Him like we've been doing tonight for who He is. But also to fear God means that, that we're afraid to run away from God. How do we know that? Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. They have ran away from me, like we were thinking about this morning with Jonah. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And and so what keeps this source, what keeps us in Christ, is this, this fear of the Lord, this awe, but also this fear to turn our back on Him. Whenever I was a uh, about 10 years of age, we, uh, my mum uh, knew someone and they had a Rottweiler dog and the Rottweiler dog had become too big for the people and so it was being transported, this is a long story, transported up the Armagh Portadown Road to my uncle's house who had a yard. And this big dog was wonderful whenever it wasn't on a lead, but the moment it went on the chain it seemed to turn and it was called Storm. And Storm was tied up First chain was put on him, and he broke the chain, and he ran straight for me, and I took off, and I got into the car just before he managed to rip my trousers clean off me, right? Why? The dog didn't like it whenever I ran away. He doesn't like it whenever people run away from him. If I had just stood still, he probably would have came over and given him a little pat. But as I ran, his, his blood got up. He, he was afraid. He chased me down. And so the Lord says that those who, who run away from me, they shouldn't do it. They should fear to run away from me. They should not forsake me. The fountain of living water. So the fear of the Lord means to stand in awe, not to turn our back on him. This is what it means to be a Christian, to be a, a righteous person. And then because we've been saved, there's a a heart change, this washing and renewal, an ongoing reliance on God. And that's where we want to get to as a church family, that we wade into who God is time and time again, that we never depart from it. Sunday after Sunday, as we gather into this place, what are we doing? We're coming to this great ocean again of God's love, and we're bathing in it again and again and again, enjoying who He is coming back to the fountain of living water and drinking from him again and again because we can never exhaust the reservoir that is our Jesus Christ. And so the wrong application of this tonight, the wrong application is this, that we go away and we think to ourselves, right, we're thinking about the tongue and we forget about the source, we forget about the heart, and all we want to do is tidy up our words. And so we make little resolutions. Maybe we write it down on a scrap of paper in our Bible. I'm going to come off Instagram and Twitter and all of those social media things because they're not helpful for me and how I say my words. So I'm going to come off those and I'm going to be careful with all of my words, how I speak to my spouse or how I speak to my mom or dad or how I speak to my friends. I'm going to be really, really careful. I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to stop swearing. I'm going to do all of this surface level stuff. Listen, that is the wrong application tonight. That's like going to the doctor and the doctor saying to you, you need a heart transplant and you then coming out of his surgery and going into a different surgery and asking someone for cosmetic surgery. You can rearrange your teeth as many times as you want, but the problem isn't there. The problem is right at source. And so to use the metaphor again of the tree, what do we need to do? We need to change the very soil, not just trim the the leaves and the branches. I think as a young Christian, I, I failed on this time and time again. I misunderstood this. 
thought it was all about the external actions instead of understanding that it's a heart thing. The chemistry of the heart, enjoying Jesus, being satisfied in Jesus, drinking from him again and again, letting him revive me and refresh me and renew me and wash me. Well, with the time that we have left, we've looked at the solution. Then what is the application? What are the words of the worshiper? What are the words of the worshiper? We love someone who is encouraging, don't we? We, we love someone who, no matter what you do, you could, you could do the worst job ever, and they'll still encourage you. Sharing this morning, yesterday at home, we were putting down some concrete, and I was trying to rub the concrete up, and I overbalanced, and I put my hand into it. And I can imagine, you can imagine the words that were said. They were, not, they were not encouraging words in that moment. But we know that someone who, who has spent time with Jesus, what are they like? What are those words like? They, they flow out from someone who has been in the presence of God and they bless their like nectar or honey upon us. And that's what we want. We want within these walls and within each conversation that each church member at Hill Street has, that your words would, would bless people. Not because we're good people or you're a good person, because you're taking that person to Jesus Christ and you're continually pointing them to Jesus. Your words are seasoned with Jesus so that our conversations are teeming with the life of Jesus. That our words would come to people who are not Christians and their, their lives are like that dusty, cracked soil and our words would flow out like fresh water upon it. And the people would be saved. We want to speak the words of Jesus. What are those words? Three takeaways for us. Three takeaway little titles. The words of Jesus are this. They feed, they heal, and they protect. They feed, they heal, and they protect. If you're in Proverbs there with me, look at these couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 21. See what it says, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 21. The lips of the righteous feed many. The words feed. And then come with me to Proverbs chapter 12. This proves that these titles are not just made up. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. Proverbs 12 and verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then Proverbs 12 and verse 6. Proverbs 12, verse 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. See that? The hungry are fed, the sick are healed, the danger are delivered. And so, Christian, does your mouth feed? Does it bring truth and sustenance? Does it have substance? Is it like giving bread to hungry people? Do your words nourish? 
Or do our mouths starve people? Do our mouths only give fast food-like sustenance? Do we feed our parents, young people? How do you speak to your parents? How do you speak to your spouse, to your friends, to your class? Do your words feed? Do your words bring healing? Do your words speak grace into people's lives? Are they medicine upon people's souls? Are your words words that bandage people up? Are your words maybe like, like the disinfectant that comes upon people? They smart for a little moment, and they're sore for a little moment on the person, but they actually bring healing as they speak truth? Or do you hurt people with your words? Do you cut and wound and tear? And do your words protect? Do you stand up for the truth of Jesus and his kingdom? Do you stand up and protect your fellow citizens? Do they defend the people around you? Or does your mouth just join in the attack? Do you let loose these pointed arrows at people? Do you fly them out of your mouth and wound and hurt? Friends, what your words, the words that you speak, are they feeding words? healing words, protecting words, because what was Jesus? He was the bread of life, wasn't he? He fed people. People ran to him because they were hungry and they wanted to be fed. He's the living bread. He came for the sick so that they would be healed. He came to deliver us from evil so that we could be protected. You see, Jesus is the source that we got to feast on, drink from, enjoy, and then flow out from. And so as we close, where where does this leave us tonight as we think about our mouths and our tongues and our hearts? I think there's not one of us here tonight that doesn't have to run to Jesus. Here's what the hymn writer says. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. How do we transform our mouths when we run to Christ and we ask for his forgiveness and then we give words of life like a fountain as we have him right at our source?